What is quite key today in the design of strategies with the international community, they include government entities, private sector voices, and civil society voices. Consultations include everyone. They're very, very inclusive. Everybody knows the government can do it by itself. Uh, private sector can do it by itself. And citizens need to be involved. So this this triangle of, of government, uh, private sector, and civil society is extremely important and extremely fundamental. And what we try to do in this guidebook is give an operational toolkit for the stakeholders to be able to move from pledges to implementation. So we're here we're not asking what the problem is, we're giving answers and solutions. COP27 host Egypt launched earlier this year Nuwafi, Egypt's country platform which focuses on the nexus between water, food and energy. The file has won first place among North African and European countries for the Climate Investments Fund, CIF, on nature and climate investments. Dr. Raniel Mashat, Minister of International Cooperation of Egypt, welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much, Shireen. Pleasure to be here in Sharm el-Sheikh, COP27. With this behind us, negotiations happening Hopefully, it would all culminate where the ambition is. Yes, uh, there's a lot of positive energy here. I think uh, we've seen over the past uh, 10 days a lot of engagement. Uh, and this is one of the COPs uh, where private sector is featured very strongly. And um, uh, I think the weather itself provides uh, uh, you know, a push uh, to try and find compromise and try and uh, find solutions, which is very, very important. Indeed. Tell us more, Dr. Mashat, about the ambition of the initiative and the type and size of investment you hope Nuwafi would attract. Uh, thank you for bringing uh, Nuwafi in the conversation. Um, we saw in Glasgow uh, the initiative by the G7, which is the Just Energy Transition Platforms. We saw South Africa uh, decommissioning uh, coal plants with uh, support for $8.5 billion. Uh, as we were thinking about our ambition and uh, trying to uh, leverage uh, maybe a G7 initiative similar to the JetP. Uh, we, we're not a JetP country, so but we do have uh, a climate strategy. Our 2050 uh, country climate strategy was uh, launched uh, June 22. Uh, Egypt also announced its nationally determined contributions, and our uh, climate strategy uh, has projects across different sectors: sustainable transport, water desalination, renewable energy. Uh, food security, water security, etc. And uh, Egypt has very strong international relationships with multilateral development banks, with development partners, bilateral such as countries. And uh, we wanted to leverage on this very strong partnership uh, and uh, uh, think about innovative ways to bring in financing for a subset of projects in the nexus of water, uh, in the uh, 2050 climate strategy. And this is where the idea of our country-led platform came into being. In every COP, uh, uh, mitigation comes in uh, center, front and center. Uh, we're a COP uh, that uh, includes development for developing countries and so forth. So adaptation is very important. So in choosing uh, a number of projects out of our 2050 climate strategy, we wanted to show the relationship between mitigation, energy projects, and adaptation, food security, and water. And this is where this nexus of water, food, and energy comes in. Um, decommissioning uh, plants that use um, uh, uh, gas for electricity generation, replace them 
by renewable energy to produce 10 gigawatts. Uh, and from that renewable energy, uh, provide for water desalination and from there provide for food projects or agricultural projects. So this is the idea of the nexus of water, food and energy. Now, the important aspect of this platform uh, is we wanted to show that we can move from pledges to implementation. This is one of the calls that came out of Glasgow. And uh, during Glasgow, there was uh, a very strong uh, commitment from the private sector to contribute to climate action. So we wanted to show that if a country has its policies set out, and when I say policies, it's policies that are able to engage private sector investment, to draw private sector investment. Uh, a country that has projects, so very well articulated projects, both on adaptation and mitigation, and a country that is able to uh, um, uh, leverage on the multilateral system given its very strong economic ties with different institutions. This is where the idea of the nexus of water, food and energy and Egypt's country platform. And nexus of water, food and energy is pronounced nuafi. Nuafi in Arabic uh, means uh, fulfilling pledges. So this is the whole concept that through a country-led programmatic uh, uh, approach with projects, uh, uh, with our partners, we are able to bring the investments required. The nine projects in Nuafi uh, are worth uh, $14.7 billion. And uh, uh, what we uh, have been able to secure so far are $7 billion. And let me mention that the types of investments, the types of uh, financing here uh, include Grants, concessional finance, debt swaps, technical advisory, and all of this to draw in private sector investments. And we saw during COP uh, that we signed uh, partnership agreements, letters of intent uh, with key partners. So on the energy pillar, we have EBRD as our key partner. On the water pillar, we have the African Development Bank. On the food pillar, we have EFAD. And then to raise the investability of projects, we have agreements with IRENA for technical advisory, with the CIF for technical advisory. Uh, so it's all a very integrated approach that links between climate and development. We want to draw an example of a middle-income country that has climate as a focus, but at the same time is able to implement this through projects uh, which are investable. Uh, so the nexus of water, food, and energy, or the NOFI platform, uh, is is one that fulfills uh, Egypt's climate action, uh, and also has replicability to other countries around the world, but definitely in Africa. Let me uh, mention uh, something else which uh, we signed on this week: a political declaration with the United States of America and Germany. Uh, uh, the the energy mix that through the energy pillar of Nuafi uh, is 42% by 2030. Uh, and uh, it reduces uh, the use of gas, which can be exported to Europe. And in this political declaration, uh, there is a grant, a very good grant component, which uh, could be used for blending finance to draw in the private sector. And this is the concept of innovative finance or blended finance that has been so much uh, uh, discussed over the past 12 months. 
The debt swap with Germany is another very strong example of climate action uh, with a tool that is very important for emerging markets. And we also want to show an example uh, with Germany that this can be replicated in other countries again. So debt swaps for climate action. Uh, all of this is within the country platform of Noafi. Uh, how optimistic are you in terms of innovative measures such as debt swaps? And um, what is the opportunity there really? And how enthusiastic do you feel certain countries, especially developing countries or donor countries, might be? when it comes to this in so, the longer term. Yeah. So, of course, um, uh, given the global backdrop, it's a very uh, uh, um, challenging one. We're seeing inflation on the back uh, of increase in oil prices and, and food prices. We're seeing uh, uh, tightening cycles uh, in developed economies to tame inflation. Uh, we see the risks of recession And this is what is showing up in the uh, publications and projections of the IMF and the World Bank. So this, this global backdrop uh, creates um, uh, issues related to debt for emerging markets. Um, debt swaps are a creative way to alleviate the pressure on emerging markets. And if you have debt swaps tailored towards climate action, you've been actually able to address more than one issue at the same time. However, we need... Commitment, commitment from countries, and this is what we have in Nuafi, country commitment. We have clarity, clarity with respect to the projects. So as uh, a debtor country, you're able to identify which projects you want to work on, and there is consistency with what the creditor country wants to work on. So clarity is extremely important. And then you have credibility. We have uh, debt swaps with Germany since 2015. So the infrastructure, the institutional infrastructure of choosing the projects, of taking a decision on the debt swap, of actually implementing it, it already exists. And we are adding to that. So we also want to show example, this uh, uh, Egypt example, as one that can be replicated in other countries. So I am optimistic. What are the key ingredients of a healthy, inclusive and more sustainable national economic system in your opinion? Uh, let me uh, uh, go to the uh, Egypt case. As Ministry of International Cooperation, we are responsible for designing uh, strategies of Egypt uh, with different institutions, with the World Bank, uh, with the United Nations system. So, you know, we just finished our UN uh, SCDF uh, 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 with, uh, um, uh, with the UN, which, which, which is the umbrella agreement of our cooperation over the next five years, similarly with the African Development Bank and then with the bilaterals, France and Germany and so forth. What is quite key today in the design of strategies with the international community, they include government entities, private sector voices and civil society voices. Consultations include everyone. They're very, very inclusive. The other aspect, which is quite common today in strategies, is they focus on an inclusive economy. And when we say inclusive, it means that youth and women are included. So very specific projects to be able to address empowerment of youth and women. Uh, digital comes in very strongly because today COVID also showed us that without digital solutions, it's very difficult uh, to move ahead and accelerate action. And green. So inclusive, digital and green are three words that are very, very common among strategies uh, with the international community. So um, creating 
an economic policy making uh, which integrates uh, different stakeholders and has a common denominator, uh, which are the SDGs, which push for inclusivity and uh, a, a climate or a green transition and a digital transformation. These are the key words uh, that any government has to take into account and implement while designing its uh, uh, economic policies. Uh, I would like to ask you this question, not necessarily in relation to Egypt, but in relation to the world. You are an economist, you are a finance uh, expert. How important is accounting and being able to gear national accounts and accounting, accountability, towards greener investment? How is, well, it's clearly important, but how do you do that and how challenging it is, especially in the developing world? Thank you for that question. And I think, uh, you know, here being at the COP and, and looking at the UN uh, FCCC, measurement is a key aspect. If we want the private sector to engage in adaptation projects, we have to give them a metric. If we want to see how much we have moved from pledges to implementation, we need to have measurement. So uh, you're absolutely correct. Uh, uh, accounting, uh, measurement, uh, KPIs, uh, agreement on what we're measuring are, are extremely significant today. Uh, I always go back to the Egypt example because it's in our Egypt country platform, Noefi, that we're trying to do exactly that. So for every project that we put in the platform, there's a concept note that shows um, how many beneficiaries, uh, how much uh, gas emissions are we going to be saving, how it's linked to our NDCs. So we're trying to show a credible example where clarity in terms of projects can actually withdraw uh, or sorry draw in private sector investments so in the financial world today the more clear countries are with respect to their policy regulatory frameworks uh, with respect to uh, how this project is going to affect NDCs and climate action, the more we will be able to move forward on a national level. And if every country on a national level moves forward, then the global goals are going to be attained. And let me maybe uh, bring in uh, what we've done over the past uh, uh, several months, which is coming up with the Sharm el-Sheikh guidebook exactly, I was uh, for, for, for just financing. Yeah. And this is an, a very important outcome uh, here at COP. We launched uh, the Sharm el-Sheikh guidebook for just financing on Finance Day, November 9th. And this is um, collect, uh, based on collective consultation uh, with uh, different stakeholders, governments, uh, non-state actors such as multilateral development banks, private sector, philanthropy. Philanthropy now is a very prominent uh, uh, agent in pushing climate action because of the uh, de-risking they are able to do on private sector. And what we try to do in this guidebook is give an operational toolkit for the stakeholders to be able to move from pledges to implementation. So capital providers, for each capital provider, what is the ticket size? What is the risk they're taking? How we can uh, make sure that we... So we're here we're not asking what the problem is. We're giving answers and solutions. Um, uh, also, uh, there's a lot of talk today about MDBs uh, doing more to be able to de-risk private sector engagements in countries that need it, middle-income countries. So I think that the uh, debate today is a very lively debate. And what we are doing with this guidebook is try to provide solutions, 48 case studies of what has worked. Um, and uh, it's not just on mitigation, but also adaptation, which is also center uh, at uh, COP27. 
We talked about justice and we, called, we talked about having a more uh, inclusive society and you were very clear about that. I think the challenge in the current uh, trajectory that we are all experiencing and the slowing of economies, geopolitical situation, is that the normal person who in many cases in our countries are below the poverty line, how fast can they feel the benefit and how do we ensure that they are a beneficiary now or do they have to wait a bit more and how do we ensure they are part of the conversation there are barriers some of them are gender related some of them are education related but as you mentioned it's a movement where we all need to be part of it's a discussion where and activities that every sector of society needs to be engaged in what is the best way to achieve something like that I mean, as I mentioned, um, uh, in the design of government strategies, uh, everybody knows the government can do it by itself. COVID has shown that. That was a very strong experiment. Uh, private sector can do it by itself. And citizens need to be involved. So this, this triangle of, of government, uh, private sector, and civil society is extremely important and extremely fundamental. Um, the other item is when we talk about just financing and in the guidebook we give a definition of just financing. It's not just availing finance now, but how can I create sustainable finance? So it's the quality and quantity of finance. And what we mean by quality is uh, not just finding the money for one project, but how can I ensure it's sustainable so that the people that are affected the most by climate action would also find it equitable. And here comes the point of not thinking about climate action in separation of development. Both of them need to come together. The SDGs are 17 SDGs, and SDG 13 is climate action. So uh, we would be faulted to you know, focus on this alone. If we put both together, we will be able to address exactly your point that in every development project there are beneficiaries, uh, there are outcomes uh, that positively impact people. And if these projects are also help accelerate the climate agenda, then we have been able to, again, meet uh, more than one goal at the same time. Let's shift the conversation to bankings. Uh, to banking. As a specialist in international economics, monetary policy, to what extent do we need to reshape the conversation about banking systems globally, but with some focus on the developing world? I think that um, uh, regulators, central banks, uh, play a fundamental role today uh, in uh, you know, uh, sustainable finance, uh, pushing uh, impact financing, uh, uh, financing that is tailored uh, to SMEs or to startups that focus on women or technology. So, so we see this happening among uh, the different regulators and so forth. So it, there, there's a very significant role to play. And it is in discussions during fora such as COP where you find global experiences being shared. So we don't need to reinvent uh, what one country is doing, but actually uh, share knowledge and push the agenda. So um, uh, I feel that uh, it's it's uh, every uh, entity has a role to play, and there's a lot of complementarity. It's a chain. So uh, government through policy, uh, private sector through uh, showing interest and telling us what is needed, uh, multilateral development banks for the innovative tools, 
central banks uh, for regulations that allow for sustainable uh, uh, finance, uh, such as green bonds and sustainable SDG bonds and, 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 and guarantees that could go uh, ahead or uh, impact investing? Um, I will have to ask you, since we're here, uh, as a woman, as an African, as an Arab, You've been, you've have, you have in your CV a few superlatives, right? I mean, you were the youngest professional in the IMF when you were 25. You are the youngest female minister in the Egyptian government. And I'm sure there's a list that we could cite. Um, let's talk empowerment. Uh, empowerment doesn't come easy and we have to empower ourselves, not only that society has to empower us or the workplace has to empower us. Tell me a little bit about your journey, about what you've learned and about what others may, you know, want to learn from you, especially younger girls and women. Um, I think the, the, the first point is, um, is not to f feel limited Uh, by gender or by uh, uh, any other uh, special feature that uh, you're endowed with. So I, I've never uh, felt that uh, uh, being, uh, uh, you know, uh, a woman would, would hold me back uh, from uh, doing uh, my PhD or hold me back from applying to the IMF or hold me back from, uh, you know, uh, working in the financial s uh, sector. So, so, so I think... Um, Uh, uh, we sometimes limit ourselves by by feeling that uh, society is limiting us. So so I, everyone should 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 not uh, be a victim of the biases that that exist around us. And then the second most important to me is uh, trying to create competence. And competence comes from from your education, from investing in yourself. Today, even uh, you know, online uh, education has become very very accessible. So, so try to work on your competencies. Competence is extremely important. Uh, I have four C's that I always cite. Uh, competence, connections, confidence, and charm. Uh, uh, being, uh, trying to gain that competence, open to uh, uh, understanding what's going around you, learning from others. Second, connecting. Today in this world, One connection brings you to another connection. And connections are very important. They push you forward. And everybody wants to connect with the competent. So if you want sustainable connections that push you forward, you need to be competent. Because if you're not, you know, maybe one contact and then it goes away. The third is confidence. And confidence comes from how much you know, how much you can contribute to the table. So, uh, and there's a very fine line between uh, confidence and arrogance. And that fine line is how much knowledge you have. And that is extremely important. And then finally, uh, as, uh, as a woman, you've been in many situations. You know, I'm sometimes the youngest in the room, the most knowledgeable in the room. I don't know. It's, uh, sometimes I, uh, uh, my, my subordinates sometimes are double my age. So, so here comes the charm part uh, or the social intelligence. How, how can you uh, impact and influence those around you in a smart and intelligent way? So um, uh, these are my, my four C's. I always cite them, but they are in this order. Competence, connections, confidence, and charm. And uh, I just feel that um, uh, I've been uh, uh, very blessed by family support, of course. Uh, and also, uh, uh, you know, as, as uh, a, f a female minister in Egypt, uh, um, you know, the, the political leadership pushes... Uh, women is very gender blind, doesn't see 
uh, this, uh, if you're competent and, and can do a job, you'll do it. You'll be given that responsibility and more will be added to you. Uh, so this is also very important that uh, we should not think about gender as a limitation and, and we, should, we should really be gender, gender blind, if you will. Um, I don't know if that answers the question, but uh, we're very happy that um, uh, here at COP we're, we're showing um, uh, examples of female leaders uh, that are um, uh, you know, pushing the climate agenda and have contributed to making this uh, COP a successful one. Dr. Raniel Mashad, it was a pleasure hosting you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much, Shirin. A pleasure. Thank you very much. This has been another episode of the Transformers podcast, brought to you by the UN Science Policy Business Forum on the Environment and Partners. To keep up with recent uploads, events, and other updates, follow our Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook pages, all linked in the description. There is also a video version of this episode available on the official Transformers YouTube channel, also linked below. Thank you for listening. We look forward to seeing you again soon.